Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan. Welcome once again to Armagh Eyes Sports Podcast, The Eye on the Ball. This is your host, Elaine Ingram. For this week's podcast, I had the great pleasure of speaking to Richard Bullock. Richard has been a journalist for a long time. Um, he's a PR expert. Um, he specialises in rugby and cricket, but he's also really well known for being a long-term advocate of females in sport in Armagh. He's sat on the executive committee for Armagh Ladies um, Gaelic Football Association and he's also an non-executive director of Netball Northern Ireland. So he's the person you want to speak to when you want to know anything about what's going on. We had a great in-depth conversation about the state of sports for females in Armagh at the moment, and where they're at and where they want to go and what's being done about it. He also has been to the ladies semi-finals where Armagh Harps um, had a great win over Shane O'Neill's on Saturday. And on Friday night before that, Car Kruppen um, saw off Grange and um, Richard talks us through both of those games and also the games leading up to that and and he has plenty of stories to tell about the players involved too. On the men's GA front, the final was decided over the weekend with Mahri getting the better of Pierce Oak and in a really exciting second half, Cross McGlen Rangers made it past Kalevi but they had to fight hard to do so. Um, it was a fantastic game. I was at the Athletic Grounds myself and I spoke to... Cross McGlenn captain James Morgan after the game. But before that, um, let's hear from Richard. So Richard, um, first of all, I want to congratulate you. You've just been reappointed to um, to Sport NI board. You've been there since, what, 2014 and you just got reappointed again? Yeah, 1st of April 2014. I don't know what that, uh, that date says, but uh, it's normally two terms of four years maximum. But the, uh, the Minister in her wisdom has sort of seen to bring me up to the, the end of March 2024, so that'll be 10 years, so definitely no early release there. But, no, listen, it's, it's it's good because ultimately, I mean, people maybe, if they're good enough, they want to pull on a green jersey and play for their country. I was obviously never of that level in sport, so to actually be involved in the, the governing body of sport in Northern Ireland is, is uh, something that's fairly rewarding. And you know, at times it's it's obviously difficult because you're dealing with a lot of things people think you you turn up at meetings and just talk about sport but i think one of the one of the things at the moment as well and it's it's been a big thing both in the uk generally and in ireland especially in the south the whole sort of the rising tide of female sport and i know certainly that's something carolyn killen the acting minister at the moment when she appointed me initially in her previous spell as minister she was very keen because i've been as you know an advocate for female sport over a long period of time even maybe before Thankfully, the profile had improved across the board like it, it has now, although there's still a long way to go. And I think that's important as well because you've covered female sport locally yourself as well. And the, yeah. you know the commitment is there and the stories are there. So certainly within the board, I mean, we've got a obviously a remit of governance and, and finance and a lot of things. But, but certainly flying the flag for female sport is something that I'm proud to do in that context as well. Yeah, and I mean, you have, like, over the years, that is one thing that you have championed, um, the especially the GAA and netball and stuff like that. 
Um, so do you think, you know, that there isn't enough for female sport? How, how do you think you can get more support out there and better facilities for... Because football, if, if anybody goes to watch a, a ladies' football game or an netball game or anything like that, I mean, they'll see that the talent is there and the entertainment value is definitely there. So what is it that's lacking, do you think? The talents there, the passions there, the commitments there, and certainly, and obviously she's a, she's a local Armagh woman, Caroline O'Hanlon, who's a, a world-class netballer and obviously one of the greatest female Gaelic footballers ever to uh, exist in this country. But I think uh, in some ways the media has had a bit of a blind spot because, especially at a local level, if the resources aren't there to go out and cover a sport, you're relying on stuff maybe coming in from well-meaning people within the sport. It's not necessarily particularly usable. So coverage ends up quite limited in terms of space or quite one-dimensional because people don't know the backstories. They don't know the debates. And the debates are hotly there in female sport too as to whether you know A is better than B or whether what was the greatest ever final. But there is, it isn't enough in the public consciousness for people to have those debates in the pub and whatever. So I think all that, all that noise you get around male sport is sometimes lacking in female sport. And I think the other thing too that sometimes there's a, there's a naivety as well in that female sport gets a certain amount of a leg up at times and it, it, it more than needs the leg up of course but then it doesn't necessarily need the most of or sometimes it's used too quickly to promote a, an agenda of equality and I mean let's not talk equality by any means but I think I think female sport can stand on its own feet if it gets the foot in the door but I think sometimes there's an uncertainty how to go about it and there's also an uncertainty in the media's behalf as to how best to bring it in. So I think certainly at a local level, what I've tried to do over the last number of years is actually to try to cover female sport in the same way that male sport is covered. And that's um, really telling the stories that are out there. Uh, you know, So you're, you're talking about all the, the human interest stories you get in sport and family connections and clubs and the passion and all of that, but also reporting games as they are as opposed to... Because sometimes, again, if you're allowing clubs sending things in, um, they'll maybe send in details if they win a match. Next yeah, week, they win a match, send in details. The third week, they don't. No details come in. Yeah. And a media outlet says, OK, look, we can't rely on that. So I think that consistency of coverage through good times and bad is important. You know, and female sport needs to certainly certainly expect more, but also seek to earn more as well. Yeah, because, you know, is it so, you know, you could sort of say it's a supply and demand thing. People want to read the men's sport more so than the women's sport. But if it was there... And if there was more accessibility to it and people were reading the stories, it might just get them more involved. So, you know, it could be a chicken and an egg thing. Yeah, I think the stories are there. And, and now with, with podcasts like yourself and even sort of nationally, there are a lot of long reads on, on sportswomen now, which are which are actually bringing out, the again, the great tales of commitment and achievement and so forth. And even in some sports, and female sports are a bit like what we would suppose maybe crudely term minority sports in another context, in that sometimes they're a bit under the radar and occasionally a story breaks out and makes the headlines for five minutes and then it, it gets lost again um, and sometimes also as well other angles get picked up on so for example the situations when there's a controversy about something or say a Camogue uh, wins puck fada and doesn't get the same prize money as the male and that becomes a story when a lot of the actual females in the top sports are saying like these stories are a distraction yes they're fine in terms of somebody got a voucher for 500 pounds and somebody got a voucher for 50 pounds but that's actually not what it's about it's about actually taking the real sport seriously and all these other things will, will come in their own time so i think there's a lot of work has been done by and certainly in sport ireland i know stapleton the former ireland rugby player she's the, the the head of female sport in there which is a new post and certainly i've known nora for a long time and people like her are driving it but also 
a lot of that Ireland women's rugby team that, that six years ago beat New Zealand yeah. and got to the World Cup semi-final in between their two Six Nations titles. And, you know, digressing, but I, I go back to 2002 and I remember covering a women's Six Nations game in, in Worcester and Ireland lost 79-0 to England. And, I mean, if you consider the progress that has been made since then. But most of that team, Fiona Coughlin, the captain, and a lot of those players, they're all popping up now doing punditry here and there or they're coaching and whatever. So I think we're in a generational thing with female sport too where we need probably a generation of people and that's not to say there haven't been great female sports people going way back you know your sort of Maeve Kyle's Mary Peters yeah like yeah that. absolutely but certainly in team sports yeah. we're at a stage where we need the first in a lot of sports I mean Camogie goes back farther but certainly rugby ladies football soccer we need that generation of people to retire and move into coaching administration uh, punditry and so forth I'll give you another example Sarah Booth the former Northern Ireland women's uh, soccer captain and um, she's now she's now a big job in a in FIFA or UEFA, I'm not so apologies, I'm not just sure which it is, but certainly she's working as their head of female competitions worldwide, um, which makes me think it must be FIFA. Yeah. But um, she's gone off, she, she ran women's football for IFA for a long time, but again, she started off as the, the Northern Ireland women's captain. But people like that, increasingly over the next number of years, will have an influence as well. They'll also become more known in the media. We're seeing now... And then, yeah, they become household yeah, names. We're, we're seeing now, I mean, Test Match Special, which is an absolute bastion of sort of English male middle class preserve two of their main commentators now Isa Gua um, who's from an Indian background uh, and Ebony Rainford Brent the first black woman to play cricket for England one's a commentator one's a summariser and they're both now fully ensconced in that team on merit we've seen Maggie Alfonsi as part of the rugby coverage in ITV former England uh, flanker and captain uh, we're starting to see here Caroline O'Hanlon has, has done a little bit with Bree Stack on RTE yeah. Not saying she's going to be the next Joe Brawley. They're quite different people, as you know. <laughs> but um, you know, so I think I think we're going to see a certain amount of. Not female. sure she wants to be the next Joe. Brawley. No, no, hopefully not. I'll fall out with her if she does. But um, I think we, we we'll see more female pundits. But again, it's important that people recognise those in their own right that they haven't been shoehorned in somewhere on the basis of tokenism or quotas yeah. or whatever else, because ultimately that will then lead people to view them in a jaundiced light. And not actually listen to them on merit because the best pundits, the likes of Fiona Cullen, Alison Miller's an idea in a, a rugby punditry column in the Irish Independent, which also sometimes is about women's rugby, sometimes it's about men's rugby. But these people are now becoming authentic voices because they have been there, they've they played at the level. Yeah, yeah and, and sometimes, uh, and, and obviously sports journalists don't necessarily need to have played at a high level, but sometimes I'm embarrassed where, where male, as a male, where, where males who have played at a very basic level, like probably most of us have in whatever sport. Uh, that more weight is assigned to our views than a female who has actually played at an elite level. So, again, I or think in the other sense, where they have like a, a female, you know, maybe like Sky Sports would have a female presenter there, but that would just be a token, somebody to introduce the show, that kind of thing. You know, that's yeah, yeah. Well, that is seen as window dressing, and, and yeah. to some extent, we've I mean we've got obviously locally in this country people like Ruth Gorman, um, Ruth, who's obviously been a very visible face of UTV in the last number of years. But Ruth started off as a big sports fan. She's gone back. She's playing club hockey again now down the down the leagues but ultimately Ruth started off as a proper sports reporter like you and me going to matches and whatever else she didn't just say I want to be on TV and what what platform will I use oh yeah sport they probably need a token female to present yeah. sport I'll be that token female she's come through as a female who loves sport as a sports journalist and now she's you know she's there on your TV every evening and doing a great job so and I mean another one I remember the Rugby Writers of Ireland and Sinead Kassan from Virgin Media um, she's now our first ever female chair of the Rugby Writers of Ireland, and I talked about Test Match Special. The Rugby Writers of Ireland, believe me, is a fairly traditional male bastion organisation yeah. as well. And Sinead has come through the ranks. She's contributed to the Writers Association, and she's now our, our chairperson. So yeah. progress. 
it's definitely progress. I wanted to ask you about the games, uh, the ladies football. Um, were you at the matches? 2018, the two senior semi-finals both decided by over 40 points. This year it's been great, as you know, it's the year of the club with no no inter-county stuff, male, female. Um, but this year, Buttercrane are sponsoring the uh, the club championships now, so it's been good for them. They've got their shop window. Sinead Reel, the RML GFA chairperson, who does a great job. Um, she's even got the weather. I mean, we've had some bad weather the last few weeks, but the matches actually have all had yeah. all seemed to be in sunshine so far. And the quarterfinals, great stories. Clannern hadn't lost a club championship match in Armagh except to Carrick Cruppen in 15 years. Armagh Harps knocked them out in the quarterfinal. It was a great game. The very same night, Caroline O'Hanlon uh, playing against Drummond Hill, the, the combined uh, Drummond T Fork Hill team, who were, were actually tipped to beat Cruppen this year. People had, had suddenly got a sense that they might, they might have something. Uh, Caroline scores a hat-trick in two minutes early on, finishes with six goals, but 250 yards down the road, she's eclipsed by Amy Mackin. Yeah, Amy tore a cruise in July last year. She'd come, come on in one league game for, for a, a short time, so she's brought on at half-time. Shane O'Neill's trailing at home to cross Midland by two points. Amy scores 8-1 in the second half, so, you know, 14 goals, the two of them. So then we go into the semi-finals, and you've all, whatever combination would have worked out for the final was going to be good, because either... You've local rivalry up here between, you know, the City Club, Armagh, Harps, Grange, who are just yeah. out the road. You've Derville and Mallon, their captain. She's in her 20th season of senior football. Paula Enright, the, the, the Harps goalkeeper, she's in her 20th season of senior football. So, again, if that had been the pairing, or you've got an old Camelot clash with the two golden girls, Amy and yeah. Caroline, on opposing sides, or you've got a repeat of the 2015 final, which was the one final that Clannern have missed in the last 15 years, it was between Harps and Carrick Cruppen, and, and that's the pairing that's we're going to have. And, you know, which brings me to the semi-finals last night, and I mentioned the 40-point margins two years ago. The Friday night game, the Saturday night game, both of them close. Uh, Grange, uh, Grange were probably the the outsiders of the four. They went down to Longspin, down to South Armada, to Drummond Tee to play Carrick Cruppen on Friday night. And, again, the two captains, Dervla, who I've just mentioned, Caroline O'Hanlon again, you'll not find two people who are bigger institutions for their clubs in any sport, in male or female. Um, I mean, Caroline, Captain Cruppen, first 13 years, took a break for the last two. She's back as captain this year and still still the woman who makes them take 15 seconds in. She she wins the throw in, lays the ball off, makes a run, gets it back, slots it into the net from an acute angle, 15 seconds gone. But unlike Drummer Hill, Grange didn't go away. They they got stuck in. Young Hannah Duffy, she's just going into sixth form now in St. Catharines here. She was only 17 a few weeks ago. Uh, she scored nine points. She'd scored two six in the quarterfinal win over Grain Moore. A lot of young talent coming through because we now, like unlike say 10, 15 years ago, we have Armagh underage teams, so these girls are playing together for county at, at, at underage level. Yeah. St. Catharines won the All-Ireland uh, Under-16A title last year, the first time an Armagh school has done that. So Anna, who scored two goals in that All-Ireland Schools final, she scored nine points. In the end, there were four points in it and Crop and one and probably deserved to win. But Grange, again, very, very proud team. Uh, so you've Dervil as captain, five of her nieces, the Mackle sisters, all playing in the team as well. So it's a real a real close-knit family club. But last night's game, I think, was the more intriguing one because, you know yourself, we've we've covered enough sports down the year and years, and it can be any sport where a team comes off a great win, a famous win, and they subconsciously dip the next day. Yeah. They end up getting caught, being beaten by somebody. Somebody else reaps the reward of them knocking out the holders or the favourites or whatever. So I think Harps have a very, very professional setup under Paddy McShane and Joe Feeney, the former Armagh footballers, in with Paddy this year. Uh, Fanula McKenna, who's a teacher here in St. Catharines as well, very, very steady figure as captain. And they've, they've had an absolute boost this year. Sinead Burke, a great, great uh, Galway player, former captain. She's won an all-star yeah, the last two years. 
she's she's suddenly based in Armagh now because we've we've Willie Falloon to thank for that the, the former Ulster uh, rugby flanker who is captain of the rugby club now just down the road from us where we're talking now. Um, Willie was was based down in Galway with Connacht for a couple of seasons, and uh, they met they met there, and the rest is history. And she's now an adopted Armagh woman, and she's just been an absolute a uh, bonus come out of nowhere for Harps. But you know they've got a good team. I think you saw them in the last I round did, yourself, yeah, and fantastic. Kelly Mullen, the Armagh captain, yeah. who I know you've spoken to on, on, on the pod as well. Yeah, and, and Kelly's had a lot of injury problems, but she's worked so hard in lockdown. She's so physically impressive now. And, you know, last night against Shane O'Neill's, uh, in spite of Harps being on their guard, things started to go wrong early on. Uh, Amy Mackin scored a couple of classic poachers' goals. They're suddenly six points up. Harps had lost a couple of players to injury. Um, Paula, their, their goalkeeper, have talked about in her 20th season, gone off with a hamstring. Um, Liam McGoldrick, who's uh, an Ulster rugby player and former Armagh Camogie captain, she's just come back a couple of weeks ago to Harps, hadn't played since the county final in 2015 between her other sporting commitments and injury. Um, she'd got a bang on the on the collarbone and I'm still concerned that it might be broken but she came off midway through the first half and came on again early in the second half and we talked earlier that's the level of absolute oh that's body in the line commitment <laughs> that somebody thinks they may have broken their collarbone and, still manages and, to and they go back on again and it was so important because they just lost a defender to the sin bin another defender had gone in nets in place of Paula um, Aoife Lennon had to come off briefly um, Leah came back on they dug in, they turned the game round probably refereeing decisions you could argue didn't go their way either I mean Kelly probably had a very very strong claim for a penalty which was brought down very close to goal it wasn't given they turned it around they went to it up uh, Shane's came back they reduced their rears to two there's about five minutes left to play and of course there's no team more dangerous than Shane's with the, with the two Mackins yeah. and you know Shane's I think probably at the start I presented them as you know dangerous dark horses and the sort of team that is always going to have I suppose the equivalent of a puncher's chance because of Amy's the cutting edge that Amy provides but I think that's probably unfair to Shane's. They are real contenders now, and I think we'll see over the next few years because they're young players who won Armagh Junior and Ulster Junior and intermediate titles over the last few years. They've all and grown, they've up. grown up together. Because yeah, I they've grown up together. About that, yeah. Absolutely, and they're experienced now. And it'd be totally unfair to say that they're a one-woman team or a two-woman of the Mackins. Uh, Louise Kenny, the captain, is a great player. You've others like Moya Fee and Brianna Mallers, the goalkeepers in the Armagh panel now. Avian Jones, uh, forward, um, you know, has scored a lot of goals for Shane over the years, scavenging off the back of teams, panicking about the Mackins, and and she's been the one who's been able to sometimes score even more goals than Amy. Yeah. So certainly Shane O'Neill's are, are, are here to stay as contenders, but the brilliant thing is, to go back to what we said uh, a, few, a few moments ago, the fact that there are four serious contenders now uh, this year, uh, the four semi-finalists, and Clannurn aren't going to go away. Clannurn are going to be stung by this year. They're going to come back hungrier than ever. They have a lot of still you know, current county players, former county players, future county players. But I think the thing that, that Armagh Harps uh, possibly have this year, and yet Carrie Kruppen, Carrie Kruppen, look, it's, it's, it's going to be their 11th county final in the last 13. So yeah. they have that big game experience. They did beat Harps in 2015. But I think certainly Harps, uh, and, and always, look, you, you play with whatever you have, but Harps' age profile this year is very, very good. They've got uh, five uh, schoolgirls, uh, McGoldrick's 21, then they've a group in their mid-20s, they've a group around just either side of 30, and then they've a couple of veterans up to up to Paula, who I'm sure she'll not mind me saying has, has had her 40th birthday um, <laughs> last year. So they've got they've got what looks like a good age profile, that balance of youth and experience. And, you know, the young players, they're now in their third senior season, so they may still be at school or just finished school this summer. But Fanula, the captain, is very, very confident in them. And she says, look, yes, they're young, but they, they, they've been there now. And 
So we expect plenty from them. We support them, but we expect plenty from them. And likewise, of course, that that, that sort of boldness of youth. I think I think Arma Harps this year um, would would be disappointed if they don't go on because certainly if they do go on and win it by beating Kruppen in the final, they'll certainly have beaten the the other three best teams in the competition. Two year last year when they got to the final, they Cross Midland gave them a reasonable challenge in Cross in the quarter final. But they come through easily enough against a second division team that had, you know, only come up the year before, from, two years before from intermediate, and then they hammered Silverbridge in the semi-final. Silverbridge really, you know, weren't weren't at that level. Aoife Lennon, the, the former Northern yeah. Ireland soccer international, scored six goals that night. So it, it's a bit of a thing, obviously, in semi-finals. I mean, digressing, but Caroline six-two the other day was actually not her best performance in the semi-final. Yeah, she scored seven-four in that twenty eighteen semi-final, and likewise, Amy scored seven-seven in a albeit an intermediate a quarter-final in the past. So they're, they're they're pretty prolific, but um, I think certainly um, lost my train of thought. But certainly the uh, this year's final, um, I think compared to last year when Harps went in against Clannern and they weren't quite sure. They were excited to be back in a final. They'd been in a final in twenty fifteen, but they're excited to uh, be there and the experience will have benefited them. They won Division 1 last year for the first time in 25 years. Their minors won the Armagh Minor Championship the first time the club has done that. So a lot of those young girls I'm talking about were obviously backbone yeah. in that team. Um, but I think this time they're more ready. Uh, also, Carrick Kruppen, while they have a great record themselves and have won the county title four times in the last uh, decade, whereas Harp's last one was in 1998 and Paul is obviously the only player still around from that. Um, I, I think this time playing Carrick Kruppen, Carrick Kruppen will have less of a Nora than Clannern. And I think Although Harps were trying to assimilate Sinead Burke into the team this year and they'd had a couple of injuries at the start of the year, Leah had just come back from rugby uh, and the Clannern tie seemed to come a bit early for them. You know, you felt they had all the jigsaw pieces but had the necessary time to put them together. Well, they clearly did that night. It was a very, it was a very complete performance for 60 minutes as you saw yourself. Yeah. But I think certainly having come through that, having survived what was much, much more than a banana skin against Shane's and even winning in adversity on the night with losing the players to injury, having a sin bin later, falling behind, not getting the decisions. I think all stand to them. Yeah, I think certainly they'll go into the final with a with a confidence and Carrie Kruppen likewise, their their canny customers. Mickey Heaney, Heaney, the manager, he's one of those he's one of those guys, he's he's an older gentleman, he's he's pretty comfortable in his own skin. Uh, he he says certain things you don't quite know what he's trying to achieve by them, but he'll know what he's trying to achieve by them. He's just a smart, a smart, smart guy. He he understands O'Hanlon psychology wise. She has huge respect for him. The players have huge respect for and him. That counts for a lot. People were writing them off this year, but they came to Abbey Park for a league game earlier in the season and yes you can say it's only a league game, but they came to Abbey Park and beat beat Harps in the league. And Harps were missing a couple that night and look, you know, league games are league games, but it's gonna be an absolutely fascinating final and with the greatest respect to Clanern, I think the fact that they're not there means that the final won't have the same underlying narrative it sometimes does have of Clannern will win this unless. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely something to look forward to yeah, now. Absolutely. And um, hopefully, Richard, I'll be able to have a chat with you after that one because you're the you're the man with the all the knowledge. Well, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty <laughs> to talk about. There, all, there always is with finals. There's talking points, but I think I think the the, the great thing of closer games is that talking points matter. Whereas when a team wins by you know, twenty. We talked earlier off air about sometimes the scorelines in ladies' games being quite one-sided. Yeah. If a team wins by twenty or thirty points, the talking points don't really matter because there they haven't been important moments. They haven't been turning points. That the game has just followed a pattern. And even back to what you said earlier about getting crowds, about getting media coverage. There's nothing like absolute proper contests, whether it's two flies going up a wall or people playing football, rugby, whatever. 
there's nothing like competitiveness to make a story and to, to get interest and to even enhance rivalries and even the atmosphere at games and we, we don't know exactly what the situation will be how the matches will be able to be in the athletic grounds or what the crowd situation will be but even from an atmosphere point of view if one team's getting absolutely beaten out the gate it obviously doesn't conducive to a good atmosphere, atmosphere either really. so whereas when it's coming down to coming down to just the whole the whole the whole sense of jeopardy and intensity it's it's all so different and you know, and, and ultimately, I think when female sport ends up in the media as well, more matches being televised or streamed or whatever. Again, and, and I mean, TG Cahar have done a great job showing ladies football over the last few years. But at times, there were before the reduced senior championship to 12 teams, there were a couple of very, very uncomfortably one sided matches. The, the poor down ladies got absolutely hammered yeah. uh, in, I think it was 2015. Uh, they they had um, one intermediate the previous year, and a lot of girls had retired. Girls who'd been on the panel for a long time, and so including the likes of Eliza Downey, the former Ireland rugby player, uh, and they had stepped back on a team that wasn't. I mean, an Armad beating them ten twenty two to not not in a league game in Silverbridge in Division Two. Uh, they went on into the championship, and I think it was. Um, I'm trying to think. It may have been Calvin beat them. I think ten twenty five to not not in Clonus, and the match was live on TV. Now, not only was that difficult for. Uh, the the players knowing that that was going out to an audience on television, but obviously the like of that isn't a good shop window for female no. sport because it just people look at it and there's a tendency, there's a knee jerk tendency, and even on message boards and things as well and social media, some people are out to knock female sport, and I think to some extent that's that's just unfortunately there. So so those voices aren't important, but what it wasn't doing, it wasn't appealing to the people who would be prepared to give female sport a fair wind and say let's have a look at this and, and a lot of times they will come and be impressed with games like that so I think it's important while the, the profile and the promotion of female sport is, is so important I think it's important at times the profile doesn't get ahead of the product either yeah the product needs to be credible you need to see people who are you know committed dedicated athletes who are able to play at a certain level uh, and, and you know a lot of people speak well as well and the, the development of podcasts like your own and others again I think we'll hear more voices from female sport people are hearing firsthand from these people about their lifestyle and just listening to um, a rugby uh, a rugby program Radio Five the other night, Matt Dawson, the former England scrum half, yeah. was talking about rugby professionalism for men. Has come in twenty five years ago this week, uh, and Matt sort of dated back to playing a bit in the amateur era and then playing in the professional era. And he talked about um, he talked about how it was impossible now. And he thinks back and how crazy it was that he was actually trying to teach geography and PE in a school and be a rugby player as well. I'll give you an example uh, just quickly before we finish. Emer Hayes. She's the Tully Sarn Kimogi captain. They beat Katie in the in the quarterfinals uh, the other week, uh, which was an upset because they'd lost the league game by 18 points to them. But she's working as a doctor in Alton Galvin and Derry. She'd been in Craig Avon. So the two number nines in the Greens Carrick Cropping game were both doctors, Caroline O'Hanlon and Emer nice. Hayes. And I think they're both worth a mention, especially in this year that we're in. Yeah. Um, Emer had done her long shift in Alton Galvin, hammered down the road, arrived in Drummond T nine minutes before the throw in, and put in a Trojan shift for an hour in midfield. You know, for a Greens team, yeah. that were very competitive against a team that they probably were expected to be, you know, six, eight, ten points off. So again, that's the level of commitment we know with Caroline as well. Like it's it's all been said so many times. She's working three days a week as a GP. She's playing semi-professional netball in England. She's captain in Northern Ireland. She's still leading the charge for Armagh. So I think, and, and I mean, this is why this is sort of, I suppose, my passion and commitment to female sport is because I've been close enough to it really you know sort of stumbled across it you know 20 odd years ago i worked for the consultancy firm that ended up sponsoring the ulster women's rugby team because the managing director um, his kids went to the primary school that she taught in 
and because I was a journalist and because I was working for them, it was a kind of a no-brainer saying, look, can you get us a bit of coverage for this? Yeah. And, and so it's not just a charitable donation, that it's actually a, a proper investment. And, and sort of all over the years since, you've seen that commitment that's gone in. Uh, and I think because I've been close enough up to, to sort of see the calibre of people involved, know the stories, that that's why you want to bring that to a wider audience. And I'd be more than happy. I mean, it's a great pleasure to me to actually read articles by other people on, on female sport locally or elsewhere because, you, you know, you sometimes get tired of always telling the stories yourself. You want other people to pick up on them to, because, you know, as you know yourself, every different interviewer will bring different things out of a story or different things out yeah. of a person. So certainly I think variety of coverage is important too. Quantity of coverage is important, but variety of coverage is important. So um, that's that's hopefully all only going to improve in the time ahead. Yeah, and we have a golden era by the sounds of things with the, uh, these clubs coming through, you know, com- competitive I think so, so and underage too is, is important and, and schools as well and, yeah. and I think uh, we, we see it in other sports too and, and netball I'm, I'm a director of uh, non-executive director of netball NI as well from the sins and, and we've we're just about to launch our new corporate plan for the next five years and certainly netball has been very exciting too with Northern Ireland qualifying for the last two Commonwealth Games playing the World Cup in Liverpool last summer and compared to the last World Cup they qualified for in 2011 in Singapore Liverpool last year didn't go under the radar and it was noticed because previously Netballers would have said that playing now, it's not an Olympic sport unfortunately, but the playing in the Commonwealth Games was the pinnacle for them, even more so in their own sports World Cup, because it almost took place in a vacuum, whereas people noticed the Commonwealth Games Commonwealth yeah. Games was on, even though they were one of a number of sports fighting for airtime. But now the Netball World Cup has become established in itself and done well. And we've got, you know, we, we, we've obviously got players uh, players locally, Frances Keenan, who was captain of Cullihanna in the intermediate semi-finals, on Friday night, uh, she's in the fringes of the senior squad now with Caroline. Caroline doesn't seem to have any intention of, of retiring anytime no, soon. She... She's she's been a starter in the Northern Ireland starting seven for the last eighteen years, dating back to just before the two thousand and three World Cup yeah. when she was just leaving school. So, um, and just finally, I mean, very very briefly mention the the intermediate uh, championship. There's going to be a great story for the final for it as well because, um, you, you know the, the the Marley surname is a great a great name in Armagh football. Noel Marley played for Armagh in that 1977 All-Ireland Final, was a legend for Billy Hagen. Uh, his eldest daughter, Kiva, who retired from county football after 21 seasons for Armagh back in January. She's come out of retirement now to play for Le Summon, her club in the club championship. She started her career with Billy Hagen, her dad's old club, played for them in the 2001 Junior Final. Uh, her husband's uh, an officer in Billy Hagen. I think she coaches underage there. But she and her three sisters, all four of them, played together for our man that went over Cork last summer. First championship match that started together. Yeah. And what an occasion to do it. All four of them are the absolute... I mean, they're basically the four-star players for the summon. The summon playing Bally Hagen in the final. So again, you so couldn't script be... it. But that's the sort of stories that could almost go under the radar if somebody wasn't, you know, pulling somebody's sleeve and drawing attention to them. Yeah. And yet that's... I mean, in any sport, that's a good... Whatever the sport, whatever the gender, that's a good story. The summon beat Kalevi uh, last night. And Kalevi, girl Gronya Boyle and Arma LGFA have brought in a, a golden boot table this year. She scored 5-12 in the quarter final against Clannagale. She's still top of the table. Amy Macken and her went into last night level. Amy scored 2-1, so 7 points in the senior game. Gronya Boyle scored 7 points against Le Summon. So Amy's out now. She's still 2 points behind Gronya. At the moment, the, the, the table, and I mean, if you take it as the three levels together, 
Caroline O'Hanlon needs to score. Is it just in the championship or is it? It's in just the championship. Right. So Caroline O'Hanlon needs to score eight points in the county final to win the Golden Boot as well. Okay. But I know Caroline; she's a team woman. She'll she'll not care if she scores two points as long as Carrie Cropp and wins. She certainly wouldn't wouldn't swap that for scoring eight points and Carrie Cropp and losing. But again, it's just on credit to Sinead. It's another little element to it. And, and finally, if I can just give a shout out to my friend Orla Donaldson from Cross Midland, who's. Um, spoke to her earlier today she was in an A&E department in Sydney she was playing in the, the semi-final of the New South Wales she playing Camogie for um, the Michael Cusack's club in the New South Wales Championship they won their football uh, quarter-final last week they lost today so they're going to have to take the backdoor route but she's sitting in A&E waiting for an x-ray oh, on her wrist so so fingers crossed for her and oh, a yeah, shout out definitely. to her alright Thanks a million, Richard. As I mentioned earlier, I was at the Athletic Grounds where I spoke to James Morgan after Cross McGlenn had a nail-biting 0-15 to 0-13 victory over a dogged Calivi side who fought hard in the second half to get back in the game and almost did, were it not for a fantastic save by Tiernan McConville um, late on in the Cross McGlenn goal and some fantastic defending and a lot of really, really hard work for Cross McGlenn to hang on. Um, here's what a really breathless James had to say after the game. 14 men and you did it and that was really tough that second half. They came back, they, they, they really fought back in the second half but you held firm. That's Cross McGlenn all over. Yeah, I think we showed a lot of resilience there towards the end and um, particularly going down to one, uh, going a man down, the legs were starting to go and you could feel Kalevi getting more confident with the extra runner and the extra overlap. It just, uh, he just grounded out just about at the end, you know, a lot of, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, no, there was, um, you know, when you went the man down in the first half, it didn't seem to affect you that badly, but then I guess, the, yeah, the legs, it was, it, was in, it was in the legs, because before that you were really running rings around them. Yeah, well, we started very fast, and then um, as time went by, you know, it was just... Lungs are starting to open up and you can hear me gasping here now because I'm absolutely exhausted and, and I'd say um, our whole defenders were sort of out in their feet there at the end. Thankfully, we had a couple of strong runners to come on. We brought on Paddy and Patsy Finnegan and a few boys that are strong with the ball. So um, we were trying to just hold on to it and maybe carry it, hold possession a bit more so that we weren't chasing the ball. A lot of, a lot of the ball that went in towards the last... I suppose after the water break, a lot of the ball that went in, Calivi were picking it up with sweepers and they were coming at us in droves and uh, we were just caught flat-footed on the, on the counter-attack. So, and there were quite um, a few wides then as well? Quite a few wides and, and it just fed into Calivi's. You could, you could feel them getting confident, a couple of their yeah, boys. Had the momentum a bit for a while. A couple of their forwards were on form there, they were, they were scoring from distance and, yeah, and they were yeah and they were finding space and they, and they were mad to get the ball again. So um, I think the last five ten minutes in particular it was all about us holding on the possession and and not giving it back to them too cheaply so we were trying to get the main ball carriers and on the field and and the likes of Paddy that came on getting the ball to Oshin and rain and they were just they were just holding it and and sort of seeing us out to the final whistle yeah. uh, even the last free that that rain took and dropped short they were they were coming again like they yeah, they were coming and coming so I was I was delighted to hear that final yeah. whistle, you know. And into the another final now. What are your thoughts? Any thoughts on the final? Uh, well, we'll enjoy the win today. Yeah. It's a bit. You <laughs> we'll know, give you that. we're not getting that much football this year. So anytime you get a win, it's important to sit back and enjoy. But it's it. a manner of a win too, as well. I mean, if you had a, if it had been just 
you know, as easy as it was in the first half. I know, okay, when I say easy, it's relatively easy. I mean, obviously you're working really, really hard to make it look easy. But um, a win like that, does that like make it even, is it even sweeter, you know, that you managed to really come together as a team? Yeah, I think it does. The camaraderie is good there at the minute and the boys are all uh, patting each other on the back. But uh, that lonely only be go as far as tomorrow night and then we'll have to get back at it. Yeah. Coming in, going into the game, um, you know, if you look at the Calibi team on paper, they're the, the strongest side we've probably played so far this year. Yeah. They have a lot of talent, they have a lot of young uh, forwards there that can cause problems and and uh, that's exactly what they did out there. Thankfully, our boys just got on top towards the end and, and had, a few, had a good enough uh, few scores in the first half just to see it out. And everybody all right, they've got a f- quite a few knocks in there. Um, but bit of wear and tear, yeah. You think everyone... And what about that save? That was an amazing save. <laughs> I know, it looked God. like it was in slow motion. It really and, did. And then, it looked uh, like it was in the net. I thought yeah. it was actually over the line. I know, Taylor had to stretch. He got the fingertips to oh, it. and it then Really reactive, yeah. a reactive save. And then Mel decided to put it out for a corner. I don't know <laughs> I don't know what he was watching on TV last night, but he put it out for a corner. And then I was thinking, Jesus... But uh, we uh, we survived that one as well, and we survived we survived everything the Cleavy threw at us. So I think that'll uh, put us in good stead now, preparing for the for the final. Um, Mahari be a similar team. They've got yeah. a couple of strong, um, fast inside forwards that aren't afraid to take you on, aren't afraid to go for scores. So I'd say it'll be more of the same um, in a couple of weeks. Should be a good we'll, uh, hopefully take from that. I, yeah, I don't know what I should be saying there. I'm just, I'm just yeah, exhausted. That's, yeah. that's great. Well, listen, thanks a million and um, good luck in the final. Thank you very much. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Eye and the Ball. If so, subscribe to our podcast and to Arma Eye. If you have any suggestions about what you'd like to hear or any comments at all, feel free to send us a message or leave a comment. And I hope you'll join me next time for The Eye on the Ball. Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 223. Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan.